Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Guidepost in Motion, a podcast highlighting risk, compliance, and security professionals with insights meant to keep you, your business, and operations moving forward. My name is Bradley Dizek, and I am a Senior Managing Director at Guidepost Solutions. I'm excited to welcome back Dr. Mary O'Connor for part two of our podcast, Launching a Virtual Startup from a Compliance Perspective. Mary is the co-founder, Chief Medical Officer, and Chief Compliance Officer at the healthcare startup Vori Health, which opens its doors earlier this year. Vori Health is an all-inclusive medical and healthcare provider practicing a holistic, integrated approach starting with musculoskeletal care. The organization offers full-service physical medicine and rehabilitation care in a virtual setting. Mary, thanks for being here. Brad, I'm happy to join you again today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Mary, in our last podcast, we talked about hiring a compliance consultant prior to launching your startup and the challenges of building a compliance and ethics program for a virtual, regulated business such as Vori Health. We also touched upon conducting good due diligence in the hiring process. We talked about you know, establishing a code of ethical conduct, a culture, values, you know, things that really define what and who your business is um, and you know, who it's going to be over time. With today's discussion, I would like to talk about the privacy challenges with utilizing work from home employees for a heavily regulated business. Mary, can you talk a little bit about um, how Vori approaches uh, mm-hmm. privacy? You know, when you think about privacy, um, you know, you usually think about it in terms of you know brick and mortar. You're visiting the doctor's office. You know, you go into you know one of the rooms. You meet with your doctor. Uh, and you tell your doctor, you know, what's going on with you. And you have some insurances and some control you know, over your privacy in a virtual setting that's very different. You're not within the confines of brick and mortar. Some of your information may be held in a cloud. Can you talk about, you know, the values of Fori, how it considers privacy and then, you know, how it approaches building controls around privacy and, and some folks, you know, most important and vital information? So, Brad, that's a really great question. And yes, it is a very heavy, heavily regulated industry, as you know. And that's because it's really important that we respect people's personal data. So we take uh, privacy very seriously at Vori. And we approached uh, privacy as we've approached other areas of you know, compliance with having strong policies, good procedures, and then creating controls to, to basically audit audit our performance. We see the virtual setting as a setting where having the right tech solutions and um, and programs in place to be vitally important, right? It's very different in the virtual setting, just like the example that you gave. If you're in seeing your doctor face-to-face, you know, the door is closed, it's the two of you. If you're seeing your doctor virtually, and that interaction is happening uh, through some type of video link, uh, then is your information safe? So this is where I believe that, again, this multidisciplinary team approach, just as we're doing with Vori Health in terms of providing medical care to patients, is very important and equally important uh, when we're creating solutions and approaches towards compliance issues like privacy. So we do this by having the clinical input, which is me, the, the tech input, which is our chief technology officer, uh, Shri Murtha, who's a fabulous uh, tech leader. Uh, and then, of course, 
um, utilize uh, more operations people, right? Because how are we going to create that experience for the patient where they're engaged with us virtually and we know that we are compliant with our privacy policy and that the data that we're um, that we obtain is secure in that virtual environment. And that's really where there's a lot of work that we've done um, and resources that we've invested basically to make sure that the platform is secure and that the data that we that we collect is secure. Very, very interesting, Mary. And can you talk a little bit about, you know, we talked in the last podcast about how Navori at a very early stage before it even launched, put in place a compliance and ethics program. Um, and that compliance and ethics program includes policies and procedures and practices. And as the chief compliance officer, you know, one of the things that you're responsible for is putting in place a practice that can coordinate the work of all the various people that you just um, discussed, you know, your operational team, your CISO, your chief information security officer, you know, the chief privacy officer, you know, if the CEO needs to get involved um, and make a decision. Can you talk a little bit about your practices for coordinating all these different functions and also uh, to the extent that you need to help support them? Um, you know, what your practices are to provide support? Brad, that's a great question. And, you know, in a startup, uh, oftentimes um, one person may wear multiple hats. And I'm very fortunate that I had a lot of compliance experience at Mayo in my in my role there with the Office of Integrity and Compliance so that I am able to, to serve right now as our initial chief compliance officer. And I, I fully expect as we grow that that will change. Um, but, you know, as I said, in a startup, sometimes you have to wear several hats. Uh, in some ways, that's been fortuitous in, this, in our startup uh, mode. Uh, because when I am, when we're approaching an issue or creating a process, I am much more attuned to compliance issues and risk then the uh, I will just say, in my opinion, the average chief medical officer. So if there was a startup where the chief medical officer really doesn't have that much compliance background, I think it's so important that there is somebody who has compliance experience at the at the table when concepts and processes, are being discussed and created because that then leads to the creation of policy, right? We decide that we we need to do something in healthcare, so we want to have a policy that surrounds it so that we document our approach. And then that leads to a procedure. All right, how are we actually going to operationalize this policy? And then of course, controls that are subsequently built uh, so that we can monitor how we're doing. So my point is not anyone can be an expert in all things um, and really having that kind of multidisciplinary approach where you're having um, clinical folks, people experienced with compliance, operational folks, and tech folks all together to create the program that works best for your company. I think that will go a long way towards being a great program that is um, done in the most efficient uh, manner. 
So, so Mary, you know, I think that's fascinating when you talk about, you know, coordination and support and all these different functions that ultimately make up you know, your internal control environment. But more granularly, you know, when we think of an internal control environment, we talk, we think about policies, we think about procedures, um, and you know, working with Vori um, to set up its policies and procedures. You know, one of the approaches we took, you know, through your guidance was to express Vori's values through its policy and procedures, particularly the ones that are patients facing. So being a virtual healthcare provider, patient facing policies um, that the patient is going to interact with are things like terms of use, terms of service, um, website, privacy policy, uh, various cookies. Can you talk a little bit about the role these policy procedures play, not only in your business, but in how you communicate and relate with your patients on a, on a values-based level? Yes, that's a great question. And certainly, um, we're, we're required, of course, to have a privacy policy in terms of use. But what's important about those documents is the opportunity to share with patients, as you, just as you said, our values. Uh, I'll give you an example. We need an email address if you're going to interact with us so we can get you uh, registered and you can get uh, access to, the, to our virtual services. Well, we are not going to take your email address and share that with anyone. Right? That is part of your personal information. And we want our patients to know that we protect that and that we respect their privacy and that we're going to do everything that we can uh, to maintain their protected health information as protected and private. So again, it's um, there's a lot of opportunity to try and share that messaging in many ways. Uh, and one way is to, is to use actually tools of compliance to share the messaging of your values. And that's the point uh, that you're making that I want to emphasize is that compliance work should be a reflection of your vision and mission, not just something that you're doing because you have to do it. And that's that's a great point, you know, doing it because it's something of your values, your mission, it's an extension of all that and not just because it's a added cost, but because it's a driver of business. You know, it helps people build confidence and trust that interacting and doing business with Vori or any other company um, is going to provide them value. And in the healthcare space, um, you know, a sense of comfort and healing. Um, you know, even more generally in terms of comfort, um, you know, one piece of compliance and ethics program, particularly in the healthcare space and the virtual space, is information security. And, you know, as we mentioned earlier, Mary, you know, Vori has a chief information security officer. That person is primarily responsible for the information security policies, the information security policies that are required by HIPAA uh, specifically. But as the chief ethics and compliance officer, you, know, you have a role and a responsibility to make sure those things are being followed and that they're being effectively carried out. Can you talk a little bit about how you approach um, managing that risk, particularly when you don't necessarily own 
the specific policy and procedure as the chief compliance officer? Uh, so that's another great question, Brad, and that's where teamwork comes in uh, because the chief information security officer and I have a great uh great relationship. You know, we work together all the time. Um, He also wears, you know, two hats. So if there were a situation that were to come up, uh, then basically he would reach out to me. And and this is also part of, of how we created our policy, right? So we have this all written down as to how we want to handle an incident should it occur. Now, fortunately, we haven't had anything. Um, but but it's not realistic to think that we will continue to go on and on and never have, you know, a concern arise. And so that's another, I think, really important point about doing this work up front. Don't do the work when the crisis is happening, right? That is not the time to figure out the best approach. The time to figure out how you want to handle it is when you're not in the crisis. Mary, I think that's a great point. And, you know, thinking about, you know, preventative measures rather than reactionary or responsive measures, what would you do um, to give advice um, to any entrepreneurs who are listening, who are thinking about, you know, creating a startup or may even have a business um, that's ongoing, but may be in need of, you know, compliance and ethics program or various pieces of one? Um, Brad, great. Another great question. I think I would have the following uh, thoughts to share with them. The first is don't view compliance as just something you have to do. View compliance as the opportunity to help drive and influence your culture and all aspects of your business. The second is (laughs) just invest in the work early. It will pay off for you. You will be more efficient. It will cost you less in terms of time and expense if you do it up front early than if you wait until uh, you have an acute event and then you're scrambling and you're very reactive. And the third is see compliance as, as part of what you're all about because you compliance is a way for people to know in my opinion, uh, that you have the right values and that you understand that there are guardrails uh, that any business uh, needs to stay within. And compliance is not, to me, has never been a negative word, although some people see it that way. I really see it as an opportunity to really drive culture and values in your organization and use Use compliance to support your vision and mission. And, and that's, that's really how I try to frame it. The, the last point I'll make is always understand that compliance is like a living uh, document, constantly needing reviewed and refreshed. Because as your business grows, you will find that there will be new situations that arise where you need to review or edit policy or update policy uh, because times have changed. And so I really see compliance as not a stagnant process, but a very vibrant process. That's fascinating. And it sounds like, you know, and, and in a good way, that Vori and you in particular, Mary, are a very proactive person. Um, you know, value compliance and ethics and use it as an extension as a value add 
rather than as a cost. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know when Vori is thinking about doing a risk assessment? Um, you know, I know you guys are talking about you know conducting audits um, around SOC two and high trust, uh, and maybe even a broader um, risk assessment of your culture and compliance program generally. Can you talk a little bit about that? So I love risk assessments, Brad. I think they are so much fun because really it's such an intellectual exercise to say, okay, how are we going to balance risk? No one can work in a risk-free environment. Life is not risk-free, okay? And so that those risk assessments I always find very interesting and I enjoy, and we'll be looking to do that not right away, but in the near future. And as you mentioned, we're we're actively engaged in working towards, you know, SOC 2 and high trust, which are also important uh, measures to, to really um, share with our patients and our partners our commitment to the level of, of security that we want to have. Very interesting. And if you had to do it all over again, would you gauge a compliance consultant prior to launching? Absolutely, Brad. I would engage a compliance consultant prior to launching. I would, um, if I was doing it all again, I actually would have focused on us doing more work up front. You know, we focused, as you um, recall, on kind of, okay, let's take uh, some basic compliance work that we need to do and get our policies and procedures uh, in place so that we can then develop controls. And I actually, if I was doing it again, I would have expanded it to uh, to go a little bit deeper on some other areas up front because now it is just more and more challenging as we're busier and busier growing uh, the business and taking care of patients um, to get back to some of that fundamental infrastructure work. Fascinating. And, and Mary, I think our listening audience would agree when I say this, this has been a fantastic uh, conversation. The amount of information um, that you were able to share with us today is invaluable. Uh, so Mary O'Connor, co-founder, chief medical officer and chief compliance officer of Vori Health, thank you for joining us um, and sharing your insights. Thanks to our listening audience for tuning in. This has been tremendous. If you need help developing or enhancing your compliance and ethics program or building one from scratch like Vori Health did, please visit our website at guidepostsolutions.com. My name is Bradley Dizick, Senior Managing Director at Guidepost Solutions. Uh, until next time, we thank you again for joining us. Be well.